everybody doing good, huh? Do you have your Bibles? I hope you have your Bibles. Maybe it's just in your phone or whatever, but turn to uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We've been studying through the book of Galatians, and it's an interesting book. Uh, You know, when you go through the books of the Bible, you want to have that kind of historical context. Why was Paul writing them? If you go back to the book of James, you see that James was writing, and he was talking about faith. But he said, faith, if it has no works along with it, really is rather dead faith. There's nothing there. And the reason was because there were people at that time who were uh, probably from a Jewish background. James was probably about one of the first, if not the first book written in the New Testament. And uh, now that they'd become Christians, they said, oh, we don't have to keep the law. And they just weren't paying any attention to that. And so their lives were not uh, in keeping with the word of God and how God would have them to live. And so... James said, if you're really a believer, it's going to be evidenced by your life. It's going to be evidenced in the works that you perform. Now, we come to Galatians, and it's just the opposite, because there were those who were being deluded in the Galatian churches because Judaizers were coming in and said, you really can't be Christians if you're not keeping the law. And so they were turning to the idea that, man, we've got to work to make God happy. And if we don't make God happy by our works, we're never going to get into heaven And we're not going to have a relationship with him. And so the whole focus that Paul has in the book of Galatians is on the importance of faith. That it's not based on the works we do that are being acceptable to God, but it's based on our faith. Believing him, putting our trust in him, believing that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and that he paid the penalty for your sins. And it's not what you do, but what God did on your behalf. And we need to understand that. And so all of the book of Galatians comes back to that. And uh, it, it looks at the idea that Jesus is sufficient. Christ is sufficient for our lives. There was a Sunday school teacher that was talking to her kids, and she they'd been memorizing verses and passages, and they had been going through, I guess, the 23rd Psalm. And she said, can anybody here quote the 23rd Psalm, or at least the first couple of verses, and they all kind of sat there quiet. Have you ever been in one of those classes where the professor or teacher or whoever asked for somebody to say something and everybody just sits there? Just silence. Well, that's kind of how it was there. And finally, one little girl tentatively raised her hand, and uh, the teacher said, okay, you know, share with us. And she said, okay, and she started out, the Lord is my shepherd. He is all I want. And you know, I I think that is such an amazing statement. Kids do that. They say things like that. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. He's all I need. I don't need anything but Jesus. And certainly in terms of our salvation, that's where it is. He is all we want. Well, as we come to the book of Galatians, that's what Paul is saying. He says, you don't need anything other than Jesus and what he did for you. You don't need to keep doing all of those works and thinking that they're essential for your salvation. You just have Jesus. Put your faith and your trust in him and what he's done for you, and he's all you really need. He meets your needs. He cares for you. He's promised to care for you. He's promised to meet those needs that you have Paul was explaining this to the Galatian people, and you remember the first thing he did was begin to talk about his own experience. He says, here's my personal testimony. I want you to understand this. I want you to understand that I was a Judaizer. I was a a law keeper. I was one who was causing havoc with the church. But when Jesus got a hold of me, he totally changed me and transformed my life. 
And we looked at the life of Paul, and then Paul came in and he began to talk. Last week we were talking about what the Bible teaches about faith and what it teaches about our relationship with God and the grace of God. And as we come into this this morning's passage, we're going to Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. He really begins to speak logically. Very intelligent individual. He begins to speak logically. He says, if you don't get it from my testimony, if you don't get it from the scripture, let's look at logic. And so we want to look at that this morning, and if you have your Bibles, I'm going to begin reading, and we're just going to work through chapter, or verse 15 of chapter 3 on down to the end of the chapter. But in verses 15 to 18, listen to what it says, brethren, and he calls them brethren, they're Christians, they're believers, he says, I speak in terms of human relations. I'm not going back to the Bible, I'm not dealing with spiritual issues so much right now, as I'm going to talk about things that you know as humans, I'm speaking in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet, and and can we just change that a minute so we understand, even though it's only a man's contract, maybe you haven't signed so many covenants, but you probably all signed somewhere along the line as you get a little older, some contracts, it may be a rental agreement, it may be be buying a house, some of you, uh, I've talked to this last week, and you have signed paper after paper after paper, and they and and uh, I know that people have said they are glad for those paperless signatures. You just kind of hit the little button, and your name goes there. Even though it's only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, when it has been confirmed, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. You don't add anything else to it. It says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to the seeds, as reference to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What am I saying? Or what I am saying is this. The law which came 430 years later, after the covenant with Abraham, 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on the promise. In other words, God's promise was meaningless. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. It begins there, and he says, I speak in terms of human relationships, relations even though it is only one only a man's covenant yet when it has been ratified no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it and probably i mentioned it earlier most of us somewhere along his line has signed a contract it may be to uh, to rent a room it may be to rent a house it may be to purchase a house it may be a job uh, you've got a new job and you've got a contract and they tell you exactly how much they're going to pay you and they tell you what's expected of you and they have uh, things all written up in there, and, it, and it's in total agreement between the two of you. Or in a house, you have an agreement, and you go through page after page after page. And uh, how many of you, when you've uh, purchased a house, a number of you have here, have actually read all of those pages? Yeah, I didn't either. I, I, I think sometimes I probably should have, but what it says here is that once you've done that, you've signed it, it's secure. In other words... When you've signed it, you say, I agree with this. In fact, the Bible says you really shouldn't have to sign it. If you go back to James chapter 5 in the 12th verse, and my Bible will open to that page, I know. 
James 5.12 makes this statement, and I think it's an important statement for us. It says, huh, it doesn't say what I want. I don't know. Oh, here it is. I had the wrong one. Uh, And above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And so what it's really saying is that we shouldn't even have to sign the covenant. It should be enough that you say yes or no and that's it. Uh, We should be that honest. We should have that type of integrity. We should be that, uh, uh, people have that, understand our reputation to know that all we have to do is say yes or no. Well, it goes on in our passage to verse 16. So we see that when we have a covenant or we have a contract, you don't change it. I remember um, being in negotiations with a situation. I had a person on my side and we were renting a building and we signed a contract. But, boy, we were tight on money. We didn't have very much. And he said, well, let's just go in and renegotiate. And I said, no, we already signed it. We just signed it and said that's what we had paid. He says, oh, signing of the contract doesn't mean anything. It just means that now you can begin to negotiate. I said, no. See, that's what God says. When you sign it, you follow by what you sign. When you sign a lease agreement, you follow by what you sign in terms of the lease agreement. Well, it goes on in verse 16 in this passage, and it says, Now the promises, and now we're getting to the spiritual side. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say to seeds as referring to many. In other words, it's not to all of us, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. There's a difference between a promise and a contract a little bit, isn't there? Sometimes we think that if we make a promise that we don't have to keep it, but we really do. Any of you ever made a promise you didn't keep? Three of you are honest. Four of you are honest. All right. You know, it's kind of like you tell your kids, we're going to go to the beach this weekend, or we're going to go to the beach in three weekends. And uh, something comes up. Somebody says, hey, you know, we're going to be able to do this. Wouldn't you like to go? Maybe you get tickets, and it's floor level to a Warriors game the same day that you've told your kids you're going to the beach. And you come to the kids, and you say, uh, maybe all of you may not care about those uh, floor level seats, but I do. So if you have any, and you talk to me. Uh, But let's say you come back to the kids and say, we just can't go to the beach this week. We're going to have to go another week. What are they going to say? Whoa, that's heavy in your family. They'll probably say, but you promised. Really what they're saying is liar. You promised. And you know, you look at that and you go, yeah, I did, but, and we break the promise. The thing is, for our kids, it should be yes or no. They should understand that. Now let's take it a step further. Let's say you promise your kids that you're going to go to the beach in a month. And uh, no stipulations. There's nothing there. We're going to go to the beach. And they're so excited. But that month, man, your kids are terrible. They're back talking. They're fighting with each other. They're taking things that aren't theirs. Uh, The grades come home. They flunk classes because they aren't doing their work. And you say, after a month, you don't deserve to go to the beach. We're not going to the beach. 
that right? Is that how it should be? You promised with no stipulations. Now, your kids may, your kids may not deserve to go to the beach, but we made a promise with no stipulations. Let me show you where this is going. When God made a promise, his covenant was binding. He made a promise to Abraham and he didn't stipulate based on whether you're good or bad or do anything wrong or don't do anything wrong. I'm going to fulfill what I said. There's no responsibility in terms of you. It's based on the grace of God and God's love for you. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15, and I want to just read it to you. Genesis 15, we see the covenant God made with Abram and it says in beginning in the first verse after these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying do not fear Abram I'm a shield to you and your reward shall be great and Abram came back and he said oh Lord what what will you give me since I am childless I don't have a child in fact the heir of my house is Eliezer and he's from Damascus he's a slave and Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me one born in my house is my heir and he's not really my child and then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said to him, Look toward the heavens and count the stars, if, they're not, if, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And then God did an amazing thing. He said, Abram, what I want you to do is I want you to go get a three-year-old bull. I want you to get a three-year-old goat. I want you to get a three-year-old sheep, I think it was, and, and a couple of uh, pigeons and doves. And he says, I want you to split them in half and lay them on either side. There's a path in between them. And Abraham did that. And uh, then it said the birds of prey wanted to come down, and Abram chased them away. And then a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. Deep sleep. God said to him, I'm going to fulfill my covenant with you. I'm going to uh, do what I said. And, and normally this was the way they would, they would establish a covenant. The two individuals then, when they had laid aside the sacrificial animals, half here and half here, would walk between them together. And when they went through those animals together, what they would really be saying is, if either of us breaks the covenant to the covenant breaker, may the same thing be done to him. Whew, that was pretty heavy, wasn't it? And you know what? God put Abraham to sleep and God went through between the sacrifices. And God said, I'm the covenant keeper. It's not based on you, Abraham. It's not based exactly on how good your people are. Verse 17, it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. And on, the, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land, land from the river of Egypt, that's over at the Nile, all the way over to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenanite and the Kenizzite and the Cadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the, and the Raphaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. Whew, those are tough. 
But you want to know something? Israel didn't remain perfect. But God's promise is still in effect. Because God doesn't change. He's immutable. You know, we say our kids aren't good enough, we shouldn't go. But if we make a promise, then we withdraw our promise. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I agree. I don't think the kids should necessarily get to go at that point. But that's not what God does. And that's the amazing thing. You see, God is faithful back in the book of Malachi. And uh, it was after the <laughs> Israelites had been unfaithful and had not followed after God as they should in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. And I want you to understand today, when we're talking about our salvation and our relationship with God, God says, the basis of our acceptance before him is not based on what we do, but it's based on what God's done for us. And we need to understand that. That doesn't mean that we can go just do anything we want to do. We're not supposed to continue to sin. What does that say when we <laughs> kind of laugh in the face of Jesus who he gave his life for us when we continue to sin after we've been saved? But what I want you to realize is your salvation is secure in your heavenly Father. It's a free gift. It's a gift of grace. And then we say, well, what's, what's the benefit of having the law then? Why have the law? Let's go back to our passage, Galatians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. What am I saying? Or what I am saying is this. The law which came 430 years later after God's promise to Abraham does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it's no longer based on the promise but God has, that God has uh, granted to Abraham by means of a promise. Uh, you know, you look at the law and, and what is it? Verses 19 to 24, let me read it for you. Why the law then? Why is it here? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, who I believe is, is Moses, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now the mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But the scripture has been shut up. Everyone under sin, so, or the scripture is shut up, everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to, to faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Um, it says the law was given, first of all, it was for Israel, number one. It, it isn't necessarily for the church. It was for Israel until Jesus Christ should come. But in, in the passage that we read here in the 19th verse, it says it was given for transgressions. It was given for sins. That's another term for sin. We have a couple of different words for sin in the, in the New Testament. 
Marty, it has to do with missing the mark. It's like a, a, a marksman out there with his bow and arrow, and he's shooting at a, at a target, and he, if he's right on with God, he hits it in the middle. If he doesn't, he's off to the side. He misses. That's what sin means. It, miss, it means to miss the mark. But the word here is taken from two different Greek words, and it simply means to step beyond or to cross the line. Uh, to go over the line from what God says is acceptable or not acceptable. That's sin, and that's why the law was given, to show us that we sin. Now, you know what it is. Uh, we talk about the idea of two kids out there, and they're getting in an argument, and one of them says, and he draws a line in the sand, he says, step across this line and see what happens. Boy, all of a sudden, kid steps aside. He's about twice as big as the little kid that did that, and the little kid said, oh, you stepped across the line. <laughs> you know, he's smart enough not to get into it, but... Let's see it's a more difficult situation. Let's say you're going down a two-lane road, and there's a line right in the middle of the road. What happens if you are going at excessive speed and you cross the line into oncoming traffic? The results are devastating, aren't they? All of a sudden we hit. Certainly the cars are smashed up. There may be bodily injury, there may be death, because we've crossed the line, we've stepped over. And that's what the law teaches us. It teaches us the difference between right and wrong. It teaches us what's acceptable and what isn't. It, it was given as a result of our transgressions, uh, the fact that we step over the line, that we go over what God says is okay. And you think of sin we step over the line it's it can be devastating you know you, you think of the ten commandments you don't keep those to be saved but you shall have no other god before me you shall not create any graven image you shall not uh, take my name in vain you shall not forsake the sabbath or a time to meet together you you shall honor your mom and your dad. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not speak negatively of your neighbor, bear false witness. You shall not covet what your neighbor has. You know, if, if you transgress those, it doesn't mean that you're lost spiritually, but it does oftentimes lead to problems. Broken relationships, broken friendships, broken marriages... It's devastating. Even small sins. Maybe you tell a little white lie. It's okay. It's all right. Any of you here lie? Yeah. Yeah, I lie. A lot of you lied this morning. Do you know that? If I walked up and said, how are you this morning? You said, oh, I'm fine. You probably aren't. That's a lie. Did you know that? I'm really doing good. Oh, my back's killing me. You don't particularly want me to tell the truth, but we do all tend to lie at times. And, and the problem is when a child maybe tells a lie like they lost their homework or they did this or that, and the teacher goes and checks it out with the parent, and the parent comes back and said, oh, no, they didn't bring it, and then the child comes up with another excuse and another one, and they get deeper and deeper and deeper because one lie leads to another, and we've seen that in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships with our parents. 
And so sin is, is destructive, and we need to have a standard. And that's why the law was given for the, the nation of Israel. They needed a standard. Otherwise, and it's what's happening in America today, we become rather subjective about what's right and wrong. What's right for me isn't right for you. And we've certainly seen that this week, haven't we? What was right for the left was not right for the right. And what was right for the right wasn't right for the left. And they were choosing a Supreme Court judge, Judge Kavanaugh. And it was all based on each one and their view of what is right and what is wrong. And what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And can this judge fulfill that? Standard isn't the same for everybody anymore. And yet that's why God gave the law. It was to keep them on the right path. To show uh, that you can't make it on the path. It's an impossibility. And so the first thing about why the law was given, it was to define sin. It was to show us what's right and wrong. And the second thing is to prepare us and deliver us to Christ. Listen to verse 23 to 25. It says, but before faith came, before Jesus came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed, which we were to later understand. It says, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, now that Jesus has gone to the cross, now that we come to God simply by faith, we are no longer under a tutor. How many of you know what a tutor is? You sure? You know, today we, we have tutors. Tutors are individuals who, boy, if you're having trouble with math or you're having trouble with uh, science or you're having trouble with English or whatever it is, you go to this person and they sit down with you and they help you understand what a tutor is or what, what that math is. They help you to understand the subject. They help you to progress in that subject. But the word in the Greek is different than that. A tutor was one who looked after a child, basically. Uh, in, in the Roman Empire, about 50% of the people were free and about 50% were slaves. And oftentimes the slaves were people of education, they were uh, intelligent, they were people that were doctors and lawyers and all kinds of things. And what they would do with a tutor is a tutor would be an individual when a child was born into a free home, the tutor who was a slave would now be given responsibility for that boy. Maybe at birth, maybe not until they were about six years of age, but they taught them moral values, they taught them ethics, they taught them how to live, they took them wherever they needed to go, they were with them continuously. And you know what a tutor did? They took them to their teachers. And their teachers taught them, not necessarily the tutor. They led them to the one who would educate them. Do you know what a tutor does for us? When it's the law and what it did for Israel, it led them to Christ. It helped them to see the need for Jesus Christ. And so a tutor is a lot different than what we would look at today. Instead of one who teaches us and gives instruction in all things, this is a one who would lead us where we needed to go get, to get the instruction. And so it was through this that when the tutor was no longer necessary... Uh, because Christ imported, imparted life to us. We're no longer under the law. 
And so we see that the law was important for us to show us what's right or wrong, but it's also to lead us to that point where we come to Jesus Christ because I can't keep the law. I can't do it all. I'm not perfect. In verses 25 through 29, we see the importance of faith. It says, but now that faith has come, now that Jesus has gone to the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins, we come to him by faith, we are no longer under the tutor. In other words, we've matured past that. We don't need someone to lead us to faith, showing us that we aren't good enough, but we now come to Jesus Christ freely. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Not physically, but spiritually, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. It talks about the fact that we become sons, we become children of God. And, you know, I've, I've heard people come along and say, oh, we're all children of God. No, we're not. Not until we come to know Jesus Christ. Not until we have a relationship with him. But not only are we children, we have a personal relationship with the Father. It says that we are baptized into the family through the Holy Spirit. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. 12, 13. It says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Here it is again. Whether slave or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. We all have that relationship. It says we're clothed with Christ. Uh, I think that's a, a beautiful picture of one coming out from under the bondage of the law to freedom in Christ. The tutor would uh, reach a point where his boy would reach 16 years of age. And you know what they would do when he reached 16 years of age? They would have this kind of party where he would no longer be a child but a man and he would take off all of his childish clothes and he'd put on his toga because now he's seen as a man. That's the thing about our relationship with God when we come to him by faith. We are set free from the bondage of the law. We're set free from the bondage of sin and we have a relationship with our heavenly father. Faith results in a special thing. It, it results in equality uh, among the people. You go back to the 28th verse, listen to what it says. And I believe this really relates to today. Galatians 3:28. It says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. In God's eyes, there's no deference in ethnicity. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It says when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're equal in the eyes of God. This idea that one race may be better than another isn't biblical. It's not where God wants us to be. It's not what he desires. And yet we struggle so much with that. 
There's neither slave nor free. There's no economic difference. It doesn't, uh, it's not an issue of who's the boss and who isn't, who's the employer and who's the employee. In God's eyes, we're all one. We're all acceptable to God. There's neither male or female. In God's eyes, there's no difference in gender. Uh, We struggle with that today. You've watched that taking place in the last week in our nation. The big issue between male and female and who's acceptable and who isn't acceptable and how are they acceptable and all of the different things that go on there. It says when we become Christians, it, it doesn't mean our roles are all alike, but it certainly says that God sees us all as equal in his sight. We're all his children when we receive him. The issue in our world today, in this last week, is that we are living in this nation under a situation ethic. We didn't used to be. It's what you believe versus what I believe, whether you're acceptable or whether I believe what I believe is acceptable. And we need to come back to having a standard. What is acceptable in God's eyes? And realize that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. And we've made such a big thing of that in the last 10, 20, 30 years. And realize that under grace, we're all acceptable before God. And that's a standard that we as Christians need to understand. It should not be an issue in our churches In Paul's society, slaves were considered to be somebody else's property. Women were kept and confined and disrespected, and Gentiles were constantly sneered at. Pharisee would get up, and he would begin to pray, and he'd say, I thank thee, God, that I am not a Jew, or I'm a Jew and not a Gentile, a man and not a woman, a free man and not a slave. doesn't mean that we change everything in terms of the outward appearance when we are converted, but it certainly means that things that once were a handicap or an issue should not be before God anymore. The law perpetuated those differences, but God in his grace took them away. And so we begin to look at what he is saying today, and he said it's only logical if God made a promise 430 years before the law came in, God is immutable and his promises do not change. The law did not do away with God's promise of salvation by faith. And we still have it today. Let me just give you a picture. People see two ways of salvation. Number one, I'm good enough. It's based on what I do. It's based on what I've done. I, I've never done certain things. I've always been a good person. I, I'm well-liked. <laughs> I'm successful. I, I've done all the right things. God ought to like me. I go to church, and, and I've gone through all the things my church says I should do. I've kept my faith. There's that side which is all based on works, and on this side there's a side of grace. It's not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's not about what I've accomplished. That's what Paul's really saying here. It's not about us, but it's about Jesus. And when we come by faith, 
accepting the grace of God, when we understand that the communion service is all about what Jesus did for us rather than what we're going to do for him, that's when it all changes. And you see, if you've never truly come to Jesus by faith and accepted his grace, you're still over here. But when we accept him by faith, we become acceptable to God. It says we become children of God, no longer just his creation. But now we're members of the family. And it transforms who we are. And it transforms our eternal destiny as we are now acceptable to him. That's the whole message here. Because you're going to have people that are going to tell you that you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to be this kind of person. Uh, You know, I've had people say, well, this is what Christians are supposed to be like. They're not Christians, but they've got their rules and regulations and how they think it ought to be. And it's not true at all. God loves you. I, I just want you to realize that this morning. I want you to be so consumed with who Jesus is. And I want you to be consumed with how much God loves you. I I want you to walk out of here. You could forget about everything I preached about this morning. Please don't. But I want you to walk out of here and I want you to know that you're God's child. And I want you to know that you have a relationship with him. And you, you can every day thank God for his goodness and his love and his compassion on you because he sent his son to die for you. That's what this passage is all about. We, in a natural culture, we want to make things based on what we do rather than what God does. And it doesn't work that way. That mean I can go on sinning? No, we get back here into Galatians chapter 5. It says that's not true. It says you were... You were called to be free, but then it said, don't let your see freedom lead you into sin. You better keep it together. But you're not saved by what you do. Do you want to know something? A person who has eternal life, who is a Christian, probably won't look much different than a person who keeps the law. We're going to look a lot the same, because we're all both going to be doing the things God wants us to. But one's going to make it to heaven in a relationship with God, and one isn't. Please, don't be here this morning. Be here in that relationship with God. That's where it needs to be. Take time today to ask yourself, where am I in relationship to God? Is it based on what I'm doing or is it based on what God's done for me? Take it time to, to reflect on how you judge others. Is there division and divisiveness in the, between you and brothers and sisters in Christ because of some of those issues that we see in the culture? Or are you unified in your relationship with Jesus? Take time today to, to just reflect on that because, man, Paul said it was so important. We understand it and we get it together. Let's pray, shall we? Father... Oh, Lord, I know this is so important. I know the issue has to do with our relationship with you. There are people who would tell us today, oh, we're all members of the family of God. There's this universal salvation, and there isn't, Father. 
There are others that would tell us, if you're just good enough, you're going to be okay. You don't have to worry about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet you do. Father, help us to be understanding of what you've done for us. Help us to understand that Jesus died for us, and there is no other access to you other than through him. It's all about faith, Father. It's all about grace. It's all about what you do, not what we do. We simply accept what you do by faith. Father, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this passage. Help us not to forget what it says. It's logical. If the promise came first, it wasn't superseded by the law. The law didn't knock it out. It didn't take it away. It remained the promise you made with Abraham, and it says he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And might each one of us say that this morning, we believed God, we believed you, Father, and it was reckoned to us, making us acceptable in your eyes. Thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.